in 1996. After nearly two decades spent touring the American Midwest with his heavy metal band Starfed, cult guitar hero Orrin Moon disappeared without a trace. Despite dozens of distraught fans, the music industry barely noticed his absence. While law enforcement assumed Moon had simply fled the country or joined a religious commune, for nearly two more decades, the true story went untold. Then, in early 2016, a music journalist for National Independent Radio received an unmarked package that contained over 200 dated micro-cassettes with a handwritten letter that read, This is the story of Orrin Moon. He was an amazing musician, a loving father, and the best demon slayer the world never knew. Created by L. David Hessler. Part 5. Stick around and hear a special message at the end of this episode from our sponsor, Orb Industries. never had a steady job. Six months is the record for me. That's the longest I've ever been employed. Six months. Before the whole funeral thing and all the shit that came after it, I was on my way to becoming an exemplary employee at the Mason's Post Pump and Go convenience store. Probably would have been manager in a year. Two tops. That's all gone to shit now. We stood in the middle of my apartment again trying to decide what was necessary to pack. Mel had everything she needed, though her weed was now a makeshift nest for some kind of undead middle finger. That'd be an awesome band name. I asked her where we were going while we threw clothes and food into a duffel bag. She shook her head and told me she wasn't sure. She had an uncle, she said. I didn't know the guy, but she didn't know where he lived anymore. She said he was probably our best bet for help but he'd had a falling out with Mel's dad a few years back and then went off the grid. She hadn't seen him in at least five years. She had no way to contact him, but hoped we could get close enough to find him somehow. We stared at the duffel bag on my couch. Neither one of us was into camping or anything like that, so our survival prep strategy was pretty basic. Some bottles of water, a few dozen sticks of beef jerky, a bag of month-old chocolate donuts, and a few changes of clothes. It felt like we were missing something, though. I asked her, Do you want to grab any of your instruments from the van? Mel shook her head, told me it was too much trouble right now, that we needed to get going. I told her it probably wouldn't take more than half an hour. 
She still said no. So then I asked her if we should pack a weapon. We rummaged through the apartment until Mel found a pair of drumsticks. Once upon a time, I had decided that being a drummer might be fun. It was, until everyone realized I had no sense of rhythm. Three or four pairs of drumsticks still managed to haunt my apartment after I got rid of the drums. Wish I'd taken up baseball instead. Before we left, I decided to call the gas station. Might as well let them know I was going to be out of town for a while and that they probably ought to bring someone else onto the team. Hell, maybe they'd show some goodwill since I was giving them a heads up, offer me a job when I got back. If I got back. My manager, Eric, answered the phone. He was destined for greater things, it's what I always said. His customer service skills were far greater than what was necessary at the gas station. He answered every phone call as if it might be from the proverbial home office itself. Or hell, maybe from President Clinton calling about a fountain drink and some nachos. I tried to explain my situation without giving away too many of the finer details. The whole thing sounded half-baked, and I expected him to fire me on the spot. It's okay, buddy, he said. Shit happens. I told him I'd make up whatever time I missed. He said, no need to make it up, man. But if you want to come by this afternoon, you can finish today's shift. I told him there was only half an hour left in my shift. Half hour is all we need, buddy. I tried to tell him that I was hitting the road any minute, but then he interrupted me. Time's wasting, Eric said. His voice was suddenly coarse and, and wet, like his throat was full of mucus that had been there for months. Time's wasting, buddy. Quit talking and start walking. It was the same thing the pudgy man had said. God, it was the same thing they all had said to us. Start walking, buddy, Eric said. The tone of his voice, it deepened so much, I barely recognized it as his. He laughed, and it was like rocks across a sheet of tin. I dropped the phone. I clutched the straps of the duffel bag, and I told Mel, we have to get the hell out of here now.
the dark autumn sky stretched out above our heads, broken and bruised and scattered like veins into the dying sunlight of the horizon. Clouds looked like mounds of ruined flesh after a barroom brawl, and the road was losing its color, blending in with the long and unfolding shadows of day's end. Mel thought her uncle lived somewhere in the Missouri foothills, a two-hour drive at most. It was the best we could do without getting the cops involved. I didn't have any family in the state. Mel's mom was in Florida somewhere, so we had to find her uncle. What our plan was from there, I have no idea. Maybe we'd just climb out of the car and start screaming his name until he showed up. We didn't think through any of this, and it's why we ended up where we did. I asked her if she was okay. She nodded. Neither one of us was okay. I, I knew that, but it was conversation. We either had to talk or we had to sit there in silence the whole time, thinking about the crazy shit we'd seen. I know we were in a bad way when neither one of us felt like listening to music. Just the song of the highway, repetitive, low, tires on asphalt, nothing melodic. Then out of nowhere, she told me something was bugging her. The pudgy man at the funeral home, she said. He was saying things that were familiar, saying things that her father used to say to her when she was a kid. She said he used to tell her to stop gawking and start walking whenever they went to the store or were at a gas station. She'd find the candy or the toys or some random thing meant to entice children, and he'd pull her along by the arm, dragging her gently to wherever he needed to go, and he'd softly say, stop gawking and start walking. He'd even say it to her mom if she wanted to stop and look at anything for herself. It was like he didn't want to linger. He just wanted them to get in and get out, easy peasy. Mel said it was probably so they didn't run into any groupies in front of her mom. But why was this thing saying it to us now? Better question, what the hell was the thing in the highway ahead of us? It blocked the entire width of the road, long, black. It blotted out the dim horizon beyond, and at first it looked like a giant snake that might have died while crossing the road. Then I saw a glint of light reflect off the top, and my mind finally assembled the object into its correct shape. It was a bus. It was an old, black school bus. Two men stood in the middle of the highway, between us and the old bus, staring at us as we approached. I expected them to scramble aside as we got closer, but instead they began walking directly towards us, like they intended to stop our car with their bare hands. One was considerably taller than the other, the shorter one was shirtless. Stop, Mel said. She grabbed my shoulder and screamed for me to stop again. As the car I'd owned since my junior year in high school slid to its final stop ever, I locked eyes with the taller of the two men approaching our car. He glared at me as if he wanted nothing more than to rip my head clean off my shoulders. Holy shit, I said, pushing the gear shift into park and looking at Mel. Your dad's bass player is going to kill us.
Thanks for listening to Bad Notes, written and produced by me, L. David Hessler. This week's mixtape guest is Thunder and Lightning with the song Low Winter Sun. You can find more of their work at tnlmetal.de or find them on Facebook at tnlmetal or on Twitter at tnlmetal. The title music is by Ethan Mikesell. Find more of his work at ethanmikesell.com. If you dig this podcast, show your support at patreon.com forward slash LDavidHessler and follow me on Twitter at LDHessler. The voice of the National Independent Radio Reporter is provided by Adam Martins, who also screams and giggles at me on the B-Mega podcast. Find it at megatoncitynews.com. And now, a brief word from this episode's sponsor, Orb Industries. Despite how you may feel when you look outside and gaze upon your well-manicured lawn, your windows are not safe. Sometimes the things on the inside are more dangerous than the ones out there. Here's a safety tip from the Orb Industries Bureau of Well-Being. Keep your windows open, just in case you have to escape or scream for help or toss that shambling mass of black shadows into the damning sunlight. Remember, looking outside is just a distraction. It's what's inside that could kill you. This message has been brought to you by Orb Industries.